0: Rev City Online, so great to have you here this morning. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time wherever you're at, at, home or in your car, to be a part of our service this morning. If you'll do me a favor very quickly, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to get started with our message. You can do Colossians chapter 1, and then you can hold your, your thumb there, and then also turn to uh, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to get to that one in just a second. Today, I'm going to speak about how the church that Jesus intends to build. Is made up of people who are devoted. Say the word with me, devoted. Okay, I want you to say like you're more devoted. Okay, say the word devoted. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. So before I do that, I want to I want to start with a reminder to us about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We're going to speak about devoted today and being in in, in devotion. And I want to read a scripture out of Colossians uh, about Jesus Christ and what He has already accomplished for each and every one of us. Colossians uh, chapter 1 beginning in verse 15 says this. He is the image beginning of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated on hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Our God is worthy of devotion. Amen. Amen. Pastor Thomas has been preaching a series over the last couple of weeks, The Call of Discipleship. And it has been a great series and I hope that you're enjoying it as much as I am. And every week we have a resource out here in the front uh, related to that discipleship series that you can take and you can experience uh, for yourself. But I want to give you an encouragement, a continued encouragement that it is best in my opinion, to be experienced in the context of life groups. every one of our life groups, say but a few the are specialty type of groups are walking through this curriculum and the reason I say it's best to be shared among other people with within the context of life groups is because you can discuss and debate and talk about the Word of God as you're going through this study and it helps you to grow in discipleship so again. When you, when you have an opportunity to pick up those discipleship forms, great. But I encourage you, if you have not plugged into a live group, please make the effort to get plugged into those groups. We are having some great, great conversations within those groups. And so... Uh, in that series that he's talking about, and before he started the series, he said that the Lord had put on his heart the idea of devotion and discipleship. And he began this series. Today, I'm gonna come alongside and speak about the topic of devotion. And you're there in Acts chapter two. I gave you that scripture a minute ago. Acts chapter two, verses four, four started at 42 and 47. says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to hear your word today, to come together in unity as a body of Christ, to worship you and to listen to your word and to receive uh, from you today. Let this seed that goes out accomplish exactly what you set it out to accomplish in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So after Jesus was uh, leaving, before he was leaving the disciples and after he left to return to his father, he instructed the disciples to, to gather in a room together and to wait for the promise of the father. And so they, they gathered in this upper room and they were waiting on the, on, on the promise. And here in Acts chapter one, it says, all these, speaking of these disciples, were with one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and uh, the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So listen to that word, devoting. They were devoting themselves to prayer in the upper room. And it was at one of these gatherings where the Spirit of God descended on them and the entire church was launched as they devoted themselves. Acts chapter two that we just read says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Again, the key word there is devoting and devotion. They were devoted. The Greek word that we translate to the word devoted is proskartereo, proskartereo. And to it, it means to adhere to with strength. It's like you grab a hold of something and you do not let it go. You're holding on to it with everything that you have. It means to steadfastly be attentive to it to give an unremitting care, to continue in all the time in a place, to persevere and not to faint, to show oneself courageous. In other words, you're holding on to this devotion that you have to God and you're courageously defending that devotion no matter what comes your way. To be constant in readiness for one, to wait continually on. The disciples... We're devoting themselves continually to the Lord in prayer. Now, here's the thing that you have to understand about devoting and devotion. We cannot devote other people and people cannot devote us. Devotion or being devoted is personal. It's consistent and it's time consuming. It costs something and that something is expensive. Churches all over the world, every single week, are working on music sets. They're working on sermons and videos and ministries, hoping and praying that the hour or the 90 minutes that they have to get you and I, when we come in to these doorways in such a way that we will experience God in such a way that we'll say, I'm devoting myself to him. But understand, it's not the church's job to make you devoted. You have to choose yourself to be devoted. I have to choose myself to be devoted every single day to the Lord. See, that's difficult in the type of society that we live through. Drive-through, microwave, instantaneous culture. Too many times we want to experience the all of God without the devotion to God. Listen, the cost of being discipled is devotion to God. In Luke chapter 14, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them, this is speaking of Jesus, and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. That's a strong word, man. That's some of the strongest words you're gonna read in scripture. But I don't want you to get caught up on the word hate because when you translate that word, what it really means is to love less. So in that context, listen to this scripture again. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned aside and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not love less, his own father and his mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my my disciple. See, discipleship requires total devotion and total sacrifice. You have to love less whatever it is that's getting in the way of your devotion to God. It's to keep God at the highest priority and love less anything else that would come before him. So what is it for you? What is it for you that tries to steal your time away from your devotion to the Lord? Only you can define what it is. And more importantly, only you can choose to love less the thing that's causing that devotion to be stolen from God. No one or no thing can force people to be devoted to the Lord. The first church over 2000 years ago, rather than busying themselves with countless, countless other endeavors, every, every follower devoted themselves to just a few endeavors and they ended up changing the world. Pastor Thomas mentioned last week that those being planted in the house of the Lord are the ones that flourish. And I agree with this. in a scripture. It's an incredible thought process. Yet it seems like in the church in America, and maybe even beyond that, but in America, we're constantly looking for the new thing So we continue to look for the next flavor of the month's church. And what I mean by that is like, well, this church sounds good and I like the way they do the worship or I like this message, but as soon as the message changes and the worship changes, well, I need to find another church. There's no devotion there because they're trying to get their needs met and not choosing just to devote themselves to the Lord first and foremost hoping that wherever they land that's going to make them devoted when the truth is as i said nothing can cause you to become devoted except a decision that you make yourself it's your job and it's my job to say i'm going to devote myself to the lord look at acts 242 again and they individually they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Now let's dream big, but we're gonna start small. What if we, what if you and I leave the service today determined to make adjustments, to live the lives like the early followers of Jesus, to make our own personal decision to be devoted, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let's just begin to do those four things related to devotion. And if we do, I believe that it's a relatively high probability that we're gonna be ex- begin to experience a movement of God in our lives personally and then corporately as a church. This is what it looks like. Acts, chapter 32, or Acts 2 verses 43 says this. And having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That's what being devoted looks like. And so I want to break that down a little bit. We've read that scripture a couple of times now, but we'll start with number one, devoted to the apostles teaching. They were devoted to the word of God. See, in order to become the church and the people that God intends uh, us to become, we have to be devoted to his word. The early church and the churches throughout church history that saw unexplainable, extraordinary things done in their church were devoted to the word, and this doesn't happen on accident. So often, uh, uh, people, you know, wonder how, how, how do you read the Bible? How do you read the Bible? And I did a study. And, and or read a study, rather, on how, how often Christians read the Bible. And this is from the American Bible Society's annual state of the Bible. They do this every year. And I don't have 2023 yet because it hasn't come out. But this is a report of survey statistics. And it found that roughly 26 million people had mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible over the year, over the last, in, in the year 2022. 26 million had stopped mostly or totally reading the word of God. That's an incredible number. The year 2022 numbers show a major shift also, again, from personal Bible reading. Let me give you an example. In 2021, going back another year after that, before last year, the state of the Bible, there was 29% In the never group, they never read the Bible. Twenty-nine percent never read, ever read the Bible. Um, And fifty percent occasionally read the Bible. Now, again, in twenty twenty-two, that number went up a little bit. Forty percent never read the Bible, but in occasionally read the Bible, dropped forty percent. Also, in twenty twenty-two, only. In 2022, only 10% of Americans report daily Bible reading. 10%. That's staggering to me. Don't read the Bible daily. Before the pandemic, it was 14%. And I wondered, man, in the pandemic, bro, you were you were stuck. You would think you could read the Bible a little bit more. It was only 14%, and then it dropped to 10%. We need to read. We need to listen to the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. First Thessalonians two says, as we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Second Timothy says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the divided of soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. One of my pastors used to say, When you read the Bible, it reads you. Isaiah 55, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now those are powerful, powerful scriptures about the word of God. But here's the million dollar question Do we actually believe the scriptures that I just read? Because if we really believe that the Word of God is that powerful, not only would we read these words, but we would begin to declare them over our lives and declare them over the lives of our loved ones, expecting them to accomplish exactly what God's Word sent them to accomplish. We need to be devoted to the apostles teaching the word of God. Because that's exactly what it is, the words of God. Number two, the disciples were devoted to fellowship. They devoted themselves to gathering together, to connecting with each other. The early church had a revelation. They knew, hey, we're better together when we do this thing. Acts 2.46 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing proceeds to all as anybody had need, and day by day, not only in attending the temple together, but breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. If you've heard me speak before, I say this a lot: there's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. We are not made to do this life alone. You will, not be, you will not become who you're called to be all alone. God hired, uh, uh, hardwired us to be dependent first and foremost on him and then interdependent on one another. We need each other. Genesis chapter 2 says it's not good for man to be alone. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's we. We end this thing together. That's why we encourage everyone to get into a life group. In a life group, you develop friendships. You develop accountability. You one another, each other. I'll say that fast three times. You one another each other. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. If you've got your sermon notes on the Bible app, you can look there for Rev City on the, on, on the events, and you're going to see these notes right here, and it says this. You one another each other. In Romans, accept one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Strengthen one another. Teach one another. You one another each other. In Galatians, you serve one another you bear one another's burdens. You restore one another. In Colossians, you forgive one another. You admonish one another. You spur one another on, uh, says Hebrews. You confess your sins to one another. In James, you pray for one another. In John, you love one another. First John, you love one another. In John chapter 13, it says, A new command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Listen, when you come together in fellowship and connect, you're you're one anothering each other. You're building each other up. And we need to one another each other. Number three is devoted to the breaking of bread. Last week, we celebrated communion together, and um, we do that once a month here at church, and, I tell, and you can uh, take the cups, and every single week, you can take them home with you, and you can have communion at home together, because it's just not one of those things that you have to come to church to do, and it's important that I tell people, if you're sick, you're not feeling good, you're battling, you're struggling, you need healing in your body, take communion at home take it with you and be reminded every single day that you need to take communion to say, God, I need healing. I need restoration in my soul, in my spirit, in my physical body. God, I need you to be here. And I'm reminded, excuse me, of everything that you've appropriated uh, for me through the the cross and through your death and through your resurrection. And so I'm taking communion today. I'm breaking bread. And when... Invite people to come over. You break bread together. We're going to celebrate. We're going to take communion together to be reminded of everything that Jesus died for us to to have and resurrected for us to have. We break bread together. Whether in the temple or in their homes, they were celebrating communion. They were hosting meals. They were extending times of fellowship, as we read in 1 John, so that they could grow in loving one another, as Jesus commanded. Finally, they were devoted to prayer. The church we read about in the book of Acts was a church of prayer. What preceded the Holy Spirit showing up as a rushing wind and tongues of fire was prayer. I love this translation. It's Acts chapter one, verse 13 and 14, but it's the the passion translation. And it says it this way. Arriving there in that upper room, they went into a large second room floor to, floor, to, uh, floor room to play to pray rather. There, those present were Peter, John, Jacob, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, Jacob the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of Jacob, and a number of women, including Mary Jesus's mother. His brothers were there as well. All of them were united in prayer. I love this. Gripped with one passion interceding night and day they prayed before the church was born and after God gave it birth they prayed with such power in Acts chapter 4 that God would strengthen them and give them boldness to face persecution that the building was actually shaken because of prayer Stephen prayed and asked God to forgive as he was being stoned to death Cornelius prayed and God sent the gospel to him and his family. Paul and Silas prayed in prison and worshiped and an earthquake, threw open the prison doors and loosened their chains. Psalm 141 says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, lifting up my hands as an evening sacrifice. Revelations 5.8 says, when, we had take, when he had taken the scroll, the four... Living creatures of 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. Our prayers are like incense to God. And so when we begin to pray these devoted prayers, they're so powerful. It's literally like when you pray, you and your prayers are taken to the very throne room of God. Hebrews 4 says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. James 5 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for the next three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Moses prayed and the sea, the waters were parted. Joshua prayed and the sun stood still in the sky. David prayed and a giant fell. Esther prayed and her her people were saved from genocide. Daniel prayed and God shut the mouth of a lion. The power of God was and is manifested in prayer. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and celebrating communion and they devoted themselves to prayer. You can sum this scripture verse up on being devoted to just one word, Jesus. Now, I'm gonna read the scripture again, but I'm gonna give you, it's not in your Bibles. This is the Eddie Diaz translation of the Bible, okay? And here's what it says. As they devoted themselves to Jesus, as they devoted themselves to Jesus' teaching, and they devoted their fellowship centered on Jesus and to the breaking of bread and remembering that Jesus died and resurrected for them. And they pray to and in the name of Jesus. We have to devote ourselves, but we have to begin to realize and, and, and do an inventory and say, God, what is it, what is that thing that has got me captured that I need to love less so I can devote myself fully to you in this season. Stand up with me if you would, please. So what is it? As you're standing here, just just bow your heads for for just a moment. And I just want you to ask God in the silence of your heart, God, what is it that has captured me and taken my devotion away from you? Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's an individual in your life. Maybe it's a a financial situation. What is it that's captured your your attention so much so that is taking you away from your devotion to God? And just for a moment, in a little bit of silence, just listen to what that is. Now just in your heart say, God, thank you for revealing that thing to me. And now, God, as an act of my will, I'm gonna choose to love less that thing so I can devote myself fully to you. Fully to your word. Fully to the people that I need to be around to grow in your word, to be discipled. Fully to, Lord God, breaking the bread and having communion with you and with others. Fully, Lord God, to prayer, to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness. Father, I choose to change my devotion today. Pastor Thomas was up here earlier and and praying and he He says something so powerful. Man, today today you have an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. The scriptures say today is a day of salvation. We're not promised tomorrow. And maybe you made that decision. You know what? I need to get right with God. Maybe you're online and you're watching online and from your home or from wherever it is and you say, you know what? That's me. I need to come to Jesus. Today is that day. Today, you have an opportunity to devote your life fully to him, to surrender your life. And he said, he's knocking on the door of your heart. And if you'll open that door and let him in, he will come in to your life and you will forever be changed. So if you made that commitment earlier or maybe... As you heard this word today, you say, you know what? I need to devote my life. I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ here in this room or there online. If you're in this room, would you just raise your hand so I can know who, I can, who I'm praying with this morning? If you're there online, you can just put up the hand emoji. I see those hands up. Thank you so much. It's a powerful decision you just made. If you're there online, just put up that hands emoji. We're celebrating with you online too. We want to hear from you. Online, listen, we, got a, we got something in here we're going to give these guys today before they leave this building. But they're online. We need you to, to use that text feature and text the word Rev City to 94000. Tell them that you surrender. you raised your hand today to accept Jesus Christ. We're going to give you a Bible today. We're going to send it to you. It's one of the greatest tr- pleasures that I have in my job is every week I get to send out Bibles to people who raise their hands to accept Jesus. Here in this room, you're going to have an opportunity to receive a Bible. You're going to be able to go to the front desk and they're going to put a Bible in your hand. There's hands around this room that lifted their hands. There's hands online, I'm sure, that are lifting their hands, devoting themselves perhaps for the first time to God. And that is something to rejoice about. But here's what I want you to do. As a church family, I want you to join me in a short prayer. And if you raise your hand, this morning, here in this room, I want you to repeat that prayer with us as a church family. We want to come alongside you and support you. Because we as believers, we also know that we never outgo grace and we need it every single day. But we want to partner with you, say we're beside you. So repeat after me, everybody in this room, to repeat to join those who raise their hands. Father God, thank you so much for acknowledging me as I raised my hand to give you my life to give you my trust I ask you God to forgive me of my sin cleanse me from unrighteousness I devote my life to you fill me with your spirit thank you God for saving me that I will never be the same in Jesus name Amen. Can we give the Lord a clap offering for those who raise their hands? Listen, man, it is always awesome when the people of God come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and we're going to celebrate this morning. So I want you to get your celebration shoes on, okay? And we're going to worship God before we leave out of here, and Pastor Micah is going to come and dismiss us. Can we give the Lord a clap offering this morning?